Good afternoon. It's time to get started with Revelation chapter 18. Uh, we're slowly, slowly winding the book of Revelation down in our studies, but I'll, hopefully some of us has learned some things, and I know I have doing the study and doing the teaching. I've learned quite a bit, and the most important thing is I've learned I don't know what I'm talking about most of the time up here. So uh, if you have a prayer request... Put it on Facebook, and we will pray over it. Or here in the in the room, if you have a prayer request, we'll pray over it. But let's go to the Lord in prayer. Our most kind and gracious Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you for this day, Lord. We thank you for your many blessings upon our life, Lord, for allowing us the opportunity once again to come into your house to worship, to praise, and to honor your name. Lord, we ask that you'll move and that you'll touch, Lord, that you'll anoint our ears to hear and our hearts to receive, Lord. In Jesus' sweet and holy name we pray. Amen. Chapter 18 is all about the city of Babylon and the destruction of the city of Babylon. Now, I'm going to go ahead and tell you, if you're here and you're watching and you want to know what that city is, uh, you're not going to learn it tonight. I'll promise you. I, there's nobody that knows what city they are actually that John was writing about. Is it the city of Babylon? Are they going to rebuild it? Is it a current modern city? There are a, a whole school of thoughts. Uh, some say it's New York. Some say it's London. Some say it's Moscow. A uh, thought hit me today. Maybe it's Washington, D.C. Now, I'm not speaking doom and gloom on America, but once you read chapter 18, it fits a myriad of, of all of these other cities it's large, it's political, it's religious, it's a port city, or a city on a major waterway, because we have ships, and the ship's captains are watching the smoke rise, and we'll get into that in just a few minutes. So you've got all of those. It's political, it's religious, it's the center, it's the capital, it's financial, it's a port city, so think about it. Could it be Miami? Could it be Tampa? Could it be some of the Middle Eastern countries and their cities? I don't know, and no one knows. But we'll get into it, and I, I'm sure you'll have your own thoughts about it. I know others do. We'll just It's one of those times where we're just going to have to wait and see exactly. But when it happens, when... when when it happens, if we are still here on this earth, we'll know immediately that this is what they were talking about in chapter 18. I honestly don't know that the Christians, all of us will be here. I think the rapture has already taken place, but that is Robert's opinion. We may actually be here and the rapture takes place right after. And it shows that it could be right after. Chapter 18, verse 1 says, And after these things... I saw another angel come down from heaven, having great power, and the earth was lighted with his glory. An angel with great power? Yes, angels has powers. There are multiple times in the scriptures when angels come to earth on missions, some to kill, some to observe. In the scriptures of Lot in the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah, the angels blinded all those that had the house surrounded. David saw the angel with the sword and the donkey that Balaam rode also saw an angel with the sword. So yes, angels can have lots of power. This angel was also lit up 
and lit up the earth with his presence. But after what things? Immediately following chapter 17, this happens. This is one of the few that you can truly say is sequential. 18 does follow 17. And we studied 17 last week. And he cried mightily with a strong voice saying, Babylon the great is fallen, is fallen, and has become the habitation of devils and the hold of every foul spirit and a cage of un, every unclean and hateful bird. The angel's job is to proclaim that Babylon had fallen. But what modern day city is Babylon? We don't know. No one knows. What we do know is that this city is large. It's prosperous. If it's not the center of political, financial, and religious life, the city would be one of the major players or major hubs of the societal trappings. We know that it's religious because it says it's become the habitation of devils and the hold of every foul spirit and a cage of every unclean and hateful bird. We know that it is a religious city. Is it Rome? Could it be Rome that's fallen? We don't know, but we'll walk through this carefully, and we're, I will not speculate as to what city it is because my speculation would be inaccurate and incorrect. Verse 3, For all the nations have drunk of the wine of the wrath of her fornication, and the kings of the earth have committed fornication with her. And the merchants of the earth are waxed rich through the abundance of her delicacies. All of the nations have gotten drunk of the power and prestige of this city. So we know that it is a prosperous city. We know it's a very political powerhouse, if you will, because the kings are are catering to it, if you will. The other nations are catering to it. And this has been going on for a while. So do they rebuild? Now, in the old days, before Babylon actually fall, fell, this described Babylon to a T. So do they rebuild Babylon? Well, you say that can't happen. Actually, they almost got it done. Back during Saddam Hussein's days, he was going to rebuild that city, and he rebuilt a large portion of it, but he ran out of money. And had to quit. His goal was to move the capital of Iraq from Baghdad. He was going to move it to Babylon. And it was going to be called Babylon. So yes, it could very well be that someone takes up the mantle and rebuilds this city. If they rebuild Babylon, it will be the fastest rebuild job in the history of the world... And the city will go greatly powerful in the shortest amount of time. Because we really don't have a whole lot of time left on this earth. All of us knows that. So if it is a rebuilt Babylon, they're going to have to do it very fast. It's possible. It's very possible. But it's going to have to be quickly. That's the reason why most people believe it's already a modern day city. A city that the kings and the queens and the other nations bow to and cater to. It's a city that the merchants of the earth are getting rich through her delicacies. This city on the surface looks good and gives off a false sense of security and longevity. You can even use the analogy that people, kings and lay people alike, have gotten addicted to what this city can and does offer them. 
And no matter what the people are or do, they keep returning to the city no matter how hard it's going to get. No matter how rich it has made people and no matter how powerful it becomes, the people that live in the city are, are the people that come to the city. The city will fall. And its falling will be heard around the world. So whether it's Babylon, if it is the rebuilt Babylon, it's going to have to grow very fast and it's going to have to become very powerful very fast. Don't know that that in human terms would be possible. Anything is possible with God. And I say that because God is the one that's the author of this book and he says Babylon falls, so Babylon falls. But is this symbolic of something? Is this city already in place and it is symbolizing the ancient Babylon empire, if you will? Does it, you know, we, we talked about 666 being the mark of the beast. When you look at the way that the Hebrews do it, 666 spells out Nero. The Antichrist will use Nero as an example, but he will be even worse than Nero. So is Babylon the, the sister city, if you will? Is it the, is it the role um, for this new city, for the city that is already in place? I don't know. But I know that it's rich, and I know that it's powerful, and I know that it is spiritual. Let me rephrase that. It's religious. It's not spiritual. It's religious. There's a huge difference between religion and actually having a relationship with Christ. A lot of people are religious. They just don't know who Christ is. The Muslims are religious. The Jewish nation's religious. The Buddha are religious. The atheists are religious. You go, wait a minute, hold it. How can the atheists be religious? The atheists are religious because they don't believe in anything and they will fight you tooth and nail for it. And if they don't want to believe, that's fine with them. They're stupid, but that's fine with them. I actually knew an atheist one time, worked with him, and I asked him some questions, and I got him so frustrated that he walked out on me. My question was simple. You believe in the Big Bang? Yeah. Where did the gas come from? Exploding universes. Okay. Where did those universes come from? Exploding gases. Where those gases come from? Exploding universes. You don't seem to understand. No, you don't seem to understand. Which come first, the chicken or the egg? And he just looked at me and said, you can't go back, you're in a circle. You can't go back to a starting point. There's always got to be a starting point somewhere. So what gave the gases the energy to create the first universe that exploded that gave the gases the energy? Where did it start? He walked out on me. I wasn't upset too badly. But what nation, what city is Babylon? That's up to you. I can't tell you. I have my thoughts and I have my ideas. And am I right? I don't know. But we'll continue our read. And we'll see where it's some other things as well. Verse 4. And I heard another voice from heaven saying, Come out of her, my people, that you be not partakers of her sin, that you receive not of her plagues. A voice from heaven saying, Come out of her, my people. Who is he talking to? Christians. 
That's who he would be talking to. So he's telling the Christians, he's telling the ones that's, that are Christ-like to come out before they, that the city falls. Well, wait a minute. If the rapture has taken place before this, then where did the Christians come from? There will be Christians in the tribulation. There will be a chance to be saved. I don't, I do not recommend that you wait until tribulation to get saved. I believe that we get out of here before the bad stuff really, really happens and we can avoid all of this, but there are 144,000 tagged individuals. Remember, we read that previously that some, some evangelists will tell you, well, they're not evangelizing. Well, what are 144,000 doing down here that God said, go and evangelize? What are they doing? They're evangelizing. They are talking to people and people are following them. There is Christians being made even in the tribulation. And they are living in whatever this city is. We will call it Babylon because that's what God calls it. I'm not going to argue with God because I'm not that smart. The angel tries to get the godly citizens to leave the city so that the plagues and tribulation that the city will suffer, the godly people will not have to suffer. The angel is telling the citizenry that if they come out of the city, they will not be tempted, nor will they join in the sins and foolishness of the city and what it stands for. Now, some will say that that is prior to the, the fall and the destruction, that the this angel is actually pre-destruction, and he's telling the citizens to quit going to the city. Okay, you can look at it that way, but I believe that this angel, because 18 follows 17 closely, I believe that this angel is telling those Christians that have been made during the tribulation, get out of the city. Wait, has he ever done that for us before? Lot. Remember, two angels went into Lot and said, get everybody and leave. Get everybody in your family and leave. And it wasn't because of Lot. It was because of Abraham's faith. But Lot couldn't find anybody that would go with him, even his older children that were married, and their spousal units laughed at him. So he took his two unwed daughters and his wife and he, and they fled. She turned around, looked back at the cities, and I believe the scriptures implies this. It doesn't state it, but I believe that the that Lot's wife actually started back towards the city. She didn't just long for the city. She went back, going back to the city. And because of that, she turned into a pillar of salt. So yes, the angels can tell us to get out of cities when we're in trouble. And we need to heed what they say. It's, well, how do you know when God speaks? Trust me, if God speaks to you, you're going to know it. There would be no question. God's not going to tell you to do something stupid. And God's not going to tell you to do something that's contradictory to God's word. It'll always line up with God's word. So when he tells you to leave Tennessee and go to North Carolina, you leave Tennessee and you go to North Carolina because that's what God told you to do. Yes, it did happen. I am a testament to that. And no, I wasn't a Christian. But I truly believe that God said, Robert, you're not taking the job in Tucson. You're taking the job in North Carolina. By the way, there wasn't a job in North Carolina at the time. I had a pretty sure-fired bet in Tucson. I was, pardon the expression, I was the cream of the crop. 
And I canceled that one and waited and waited and waited. And by about, oh, I'd say in September, middle of October, I'm going, did I hear correctly? And finally heard from Duke that said, hey, come over for an interview. So when God tells you to leave the city, you leave the city. Trust me on this one. For her sins, verse 5, for her sins have reached unto heaven, and God hath remembered her iniquities. Well, I have to go back, and I don't put all of this in the writing, but I have to go back to Lot again. But let's go back even a little bit further. The three men in the plains of Mamre. And Abraham looks up, and he sees the three. And he goes, and he kills the fatted calf, and he brings in milk, and he does all those things. And and he's talking to the third one. The two walk on without him. And he's talking to the third one. And the third one says, I've come to see, and I'm going to use my own words, I've come to see if the reports are true. Their sins, their iniquities of Sodom and Gomorrah had reached all the way to heaven. The reports had gotten there. People had been praying, Lord, this is a sinful place. Destroy it. Change it, do whatever you have to do. So the reports was getting to heaven. That's exactly the same thing that's doing here in Babylon. The reports are getting to heaven. People are praying, Lord, touch this nation, touch this city. Maybe, you know, we're looking at the East Coast. Maybe it's on the West Coast. <laughs> Maybe it's Los Angeles. Maybe it's San Francisco. Who knows? But people are praying, Lord, do whatever it takes to change the city. So the angel has declared, get out of the city, we're about to destroy it. They've flown over, they've dropped the leaflets and said at 2 o'clock tomorrow morning, this place is going to be a smoking ruin. Get out. If you don't get out, whose fault is it? Israel usually drops leaflets before they bomb a place, especially if there's a heavy influx of, of citizens, public, private citizens. They will drop leaflets and say, hey, we're going to bomb this building. Get out. At 3 o'clock tomorrow afternoon, this building's going to be flattened. 3 o'clock that afternoon, that building's flattened. If you're still in that building, whose fault is it? It's yours. You were warned. You knew they were coming. God is well aware of the sins of, of Babylon, and he will and has cast judgment on the city for the disobedience and for their sins. Now, here is the point. Had they repented when they had been warned, he would have delayed this destruction. But they've had their ample opportunity to repent, and they have not repented. So it is time for judgment to fall. And judgment is about to fall. Just as he, in the book of Jonah, he delayed or he, they repented and he did not destroy the Ninevites. He did not destroy the city of Nineveh in the book of Jonah. They repented. But just a few hundred years later, the book of Nahum tells us that they got destroyed. Because they had went back to their old ways and probably even worse. And God destroys the city of Nineveh. Totally annihilated that place. Babylon has been warned multiple times. They could have repented. They didn't. America has been warned multiple times. 
Russia has been warned. The world has been warned. You see, if we repent, the end still comes. It's just a little bit longer in coming. He delays his coming. The king prays and says, Lord, you know, I've been this person that's always been after you and I've I've followed you and I've done this and I've done that. And God said, okay, I'm not going to kill you right now. I'll let you live a few more years. So he delayed. The king still died down the road, but he was his death was delayed. If we repent, judgment is delayed. Verse 6, reward her even as she rewarded you, and double unto her double according to her works. In the cup which she hath filled, fill to her double. God's saying don't only destroy Babylon, but do it doubly harsh, if you will. Because the same level of pleasure and luxury that the city had received and lived in, the punishment would be equal. All of those people that want to speak and scream equality, well, they're about to get it in the city of Babylon. She will be rewarded with punishment, with grief, for the wicked pleasure she has boasted in and partook of, much in the same fashion as the law states in Leviticus. And if a man calls a blemish in his neighbor, this is Leviticus 24 and 19, if a man calls a blemish in his neighbor as he hath done, so shall it be done to him. An eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. That's the Leviticus law. But in this case, God is given the law equal to the pleasure that Babylon had lived in. Except in the law, the punishment is equal to the sin or damage. In the case of Nineveh, the punishment, in the case of Babylon, it should be, not Nineveh. I got my two Bible books confused there, my apologies. In the case of Babylon, the punishment will be equal to the level of pleasure that the city experienced. No, God does not reward good with evil or evil with good, but in the land of Babylon, the pleasure that they experienced was an evil pleasure, and it enticed many to fall from God. So God is paying the Babylonians back. We may go far as to call it karma, but it is not karma. It is God dishing out justice. And again, I apologize that I got Nineveh there. I am also doing a Bible study in the book of Nahum, and we are discussing the fall of Nineveh, so that's the reason. Verse 7, how much has she glorified herself and lived deliciously? So much torment and sorrow give her. So she saith in her heart, I sit a queen and am no widow and shall see no sorrow. Proverbs sixteen eighteen tells us that pride goeth before destruction and a haughty spirit before a fall. Babylon had gone as far to say that she, the city, was a queen. On her throne and because of being a queen, Babylon could not or would not need to suffer. The city was above reproach and above the suffering. Marie Antoinette, let them eat cake. Top mentality here in this city. We are above all of this. We are greater than this. We will not suffer. You're an American. You don't, you won't ever, you won't ever want for anything. Well, I encourage those individuals that believe that to go to the Appalachian Mountains and see the poverty that's actually there. It's the poorest place in the nation. 
But God thinks differently. Babylon will suffer and they will suffer greatly. And he does it in a very short time. Verse 8. Therefore shall her plagues come in one day. Now we've often talked here in this lesson, in this class, about how one day could be one day, or it could be just a short amount of time. In this case, one day is one day. It's a 24-hour period. Therefore shall her plagues come in one day, death and mourning and famine, and she shall utterly be burned with fire, for strong is the Lord God who judgeth her. Throughout the study of Revelation, mentioned several times that a period, especially a short span of time, meant that quickly God would come back or that that judgment would fall quickly. However, in this verse, one day literally means one 24-hour period. Fire, disease, famine, death will all come within a 24-hour period. God is not playing around. He will destroy the Babylonians in one day, literally one day. God's judgment is, and wrath is very quick. Drawing it out, making the punishment longer, will not produce the desired effect. God wants all that are around to understand that he is in control and not man. If he had put a siege around Babylon, it would not have had the effect that it was about to have when Babylon falls in a 24-hour period. Now, how can you have famine in one day? Well, all of your food is destroyed. You may not be starving, but you know you're about to be starved. That's the start of the famine. And all of the area around this city is destroyed. The entire city is laid waste. So all of their food stuff, all of their supply chains, all of their rails, all of their roads, everything that goes into this city, even their ports, are damaged to the point where nothing can get to them. It's the worst kind of destruction ever. Verse 9, And the kings of the earth who have committed fornication and lived deliciously with her shall bewail her and lament for her when they shall see the smoke of her burning. Babylon's friends will grieve over its fall. Those that shared in the sinful pleasures will soon miss Babylon. But they will miss the gifts that Babylon gave, the opening of doors that being friends with Babylon opened. The nations shared in the wealth and the riches that Babylon had, and by sharing in the pleasure, they are complicit in Babylon's fall and degradation and destruction. But yet, they're standing afar off because they're seeing the smoke. They're not trying to help. And if they did, they wouldn't be able to, and maybe they realize that they wouldn't be able to help, but they're not there. They're fair-weather friends. Oh, we'll party with you, but when you get in trouble, when you go away in the police car, we're not going to have anything to do with you. Standing afar off for the fear of her torment, saying, Alas, alas, that great city Babylon, that mighty city, for in one hour thy judgment come. One hour, short period of time, we've learned that is 24 hours. Where is Babylon's friends when the city is going through the judgments of God? The so-called friends are standing off in the distance, wringing their little hands and rubbing their hair, their hands through their hair, going, oh, what are we going to do? They are afraid that some of the judgments will come to them if they try to help Babylon out, and they probably would. So they stand off in the distance looking at the destruction, shaking their head in disbelief that the city has fallen in one day. 
In this verse, one hour is to be a short period of time, a day from the earlier verses. Verse 11, And the merchants of the earth shall weep and mourn over her, for no man buyeth her merchandise any more, because Babylon has fallen and can no longer make anyone richer or benefit them in any way. The merchants, those that make their money from buying and selling, stocks and bonds or whatever, they shall grieve. They are not grieving that the city is destroyed. They are grieving that they can no longer benefit from the city. So now we've seen the the city is full of all kinds of evil beings, if you will, foul birds of unclean birds. So that's the religious. We now see that the merchants have stood back and went, oh, great. There goes our laundry, there goes our money bags. We can't make money off of them. So we know that that the city was rich. We know that the kings was there and they're rubbing their fingers through their hair and they're wailing and, and stuff and, and they can't do anything. So we see it's political. So it's religious, it's political, and it's very financial. And we'll see here in just a few, few verses that it is a port city. Wherever the city is located, we'll see that it is a port city. What did Babylon provide, though? What could you buy in Babylon? Just about anything and everything. The merchandise of gold and silver, in verse 12, and precious stones and of pearls and fine linen, and purple and silk and scarlet and all fine wood and all manner vessels of ivory, and all manner vessels of most precious wood and of brass and iron and marble. Those are just a few of the things that you could buy in the city of Babylon. Babylon is famous for gold, silver, gemstones, pearls, fine fabric such as silk, fragrant wood such as citrus, known as citron, and that's the thion wood that it's talking about here. It's a citrus. It's a very aromatic wood. Ivory and vessels and containers made from this material. They are also known for using the expensive fabric dyes such as scarlet and purple and other rich and expensive materials. So you could buy anything and everything in this city. All you had to know was where to go. And we're talking about the legit things. You could also get the illegit. You could get the drugs. You could get the prostitution. You could get anything you wanted. It was all for sale. Everything was for sale. However, in their hour of need, not one nation came to their aid because the nations were afraid. Verse 13, cinnamon and odors and ointments and frankincense and wine and oil and fine flour and wheat and beast and sheep and horses and chariots and slaves and souls of men. I'll sit there for just a second. It says slaves And then it also says, and souls of men. What does that mean? That should catch everybody's attention. Cinnamon we know, odors we know, those are the aromatics, you know, the sweet smelling, the um, essential oils, if you will. And I'm not saying essential oils is evil, don't get me wrong, but that's what they were selling is essential oils, the fragrances that you could put in your house. Ointments and frankincense. We see gold and frankincense as two of the gifts that the wise men brought to Christ, the other in being myrrh. 
Why? We see gold being sold in Babylon. We see frankincense. Myrrh is also, it's one of the odors. It's one of the aromatics. But frankincense is used in medicine. So you can get medicine or you could get drugs here in Babylon. And wine and oil and fine flour and wheat and beast and sheep and horses and chariots and slaves and souls of men. Anything and everything was for sale in Babylon. From spices to ointments to slaves. Now it's been suggested that this verse actually represents two classes of slaves. One class is those taken into captivity and sold into slavery. The other class are those individuals, for whatever reason, sell themselves into slavery. That's the souls of men. Some may be substituting themselves for others. Some may be using the money to feed their family or to take care of financial concerns. But it is so certain that no matter what you would be looking for, it can be found in Babylon. Do we know of any cities in modern-day world that meets this description? A bunch of them comes to mind. Just about every major city I ever went to, you can buy all of this. Slaves? Slaves are still very much around, unfortunately. I'm being honest. Slavery is not dead. It still happens. And people are being kidnapped and put into slavery. Just as it was in the old days. So it is in today's days. Anything from... I doubt seriously young people watch this video, so I'm going to go ahead and say it. Sex slaves to hired or to indentured servants, to people working off debts. Slavery is still very much a very real thing. A lot of these people that go missing, young people that go missing, they're sold into slavery all across the world. Slavery is not dead, but you can find it in Babylon. 14, and the fruits that thy soul lusted after are departed from thee. And all things which were dainty and goodly are departed from thee, and thou shalt find them no more at all. However, all this disappears in one day's time. Once the end is coming for Babylon, it comes quickly. The fall of Babylon is complete in a day, and all the buying and selling, all the party and all the celebrations are finished, and nothing is left. People are wandering around in the days. I can imagine Hiroshima and Nagasaki, the day that we dropped the bombs. I can imagine what actually took place those days. I can imagine men and women getting up on their day-to-day -day routines and starting breakfast and starting their life like they normally would. But in just a flash, it was gone. If you were close to zero, ground zero or zero point, whatever you want to call it, wherever the epicenter of that bomb dropping, I can imagine that this is somewhat similar. Only thing is, it didn't destroy all of Hiroshima or Nagasaki. This will destroy all of Babylon. And it won't take an atomic bomb that does it. It will take God. God allows this to happen and God happens. And it happens because God tells it to happen. The merchants of these things which were made rich by her shall stand afar off for fear of her torment, weeping and wailing. The merchants, the ones fortunate to escape God's wrath, will flee. And once they are a safe distance, they'll look back on the city crying and weeping because their money and their ability to make money has just now disappeared 
in a flash, in a dust, in a smoke. They're no longer able to get rich off of Babylon. They're no longer able to go and get what they want. Not what they need, but what they want. And saying, verse 16, Alas, alas, that great city that was clothed in fine linen and purple and scarlet and decked with gold and precious stones and pearls. They were not mourning the loss of life, if you notice. Just the loss of profit. Not one time did they say anything about, oh, the humanity. It was all about their merchandise. They do not care for the people, but instead their grief is centered around themselves and their bank accounts. They are lamenting the fact that the city is destroyed and so is their ability to get rich. For in one hour, so great riches is come to naught. And every shipmaster, here we go, here's the ports, can't leave the waters out. Every shipmaster and all the company and ships and sailors and as many as trade by sea stood afar off. In such a short time the city fell. And even the captains of the ships are keeping the ships at a safe distance. These are the ships that came into the harbors and brought goods and took away goods from the city. These captains were not wanting to get their ships damaged or caught up in the quickly escalating events that has overtaken the city. It happened just over the blink of an eye, if you will. But they saw it happening, and they pulled their ships back. Again, not for the people, but so that they could turn around and make more money. And cried when they saw the smoke of her burning, saying, What city is like unto this great city? Again, these captains and sailors, they're not concerned about the loss of life. They are concerned about the loss of the city and the loss of a good portion of their livelihood. The loss of finances concerns most of the people, not the destruction of the city or the loss of the citizens. And they cast dust on their heads and cried, weeping and wailing and saying, Alas, alas, that great city wherein were made rich all that had ships in the sea by reason of her costliness. For in one hour she is made desolate. Casting dust on their heads was a sign of sorrow and humiliation. It was the same as sitting in the dust in the Old Testament. We see men, such as Job, sitting in the dust. The one who was grieving would sit in or cast dust on their head to show others that they were grieving. Some speculate that this symbolizes that since we are made from dust, we are getting God's attention by returning or covering ourselves in some basic elements that make us up. But again, they're not crying out for the people. Realize that. In the entire chapter 18, no one is crying out for the people. They're crying out for the loss of merchandise, the loss of goods, the loss of profits, the loss of a bank account. They are not concerning themselves at all with the people. Is that a sign of today's world? We're there. We, have, we had an earthquake in Northern California just the other day. 6.4, pretty nasty earthquake. Don't hear much about it. Because it wasn't a big major commercial city. It's the only reason why you don't hear nothing. Oh, but you let that happen to Los Angeles or San Francisco, it'll be all over the news. And there'll be a side note, oh, 17 people died or whatever, however many people, but that will be the side note. The, the big thing will be, oh my gosh, the downtown destruction. The buildings are crumbling. Oh, they, they've, 
roped off city blocks. Okay, thank you for that, but how's the people doing? Hurricanes. Oh, well, the waters have come up to the merchants. Oh, it's up to the stores. Well, what about the people? We're, we see this all the time and we just never pay attention to it. It talks a little bit about the people, but it talks a lot about the merchandise that we lose. You let a big store catch on fire. Oh my gosh, Walmart just caught on fire. Oh my gosh. All that stuff went up in a blaze. Did the people get out? Hello? Excuse me, I'm curious. Yeah, pardon me, I'm an idiot. I'm the guy in the back going, excuse me, how about the people? Did they get out? Now, if it's a home, they'll tell you, oh, well, the home was destroyed, but the people got out because there's no merchandise there. They can't make money off of the home. But you let a store or something get damaged, and that's exactly what they talk about. Look at all the riots. How many people got killed in the riots in Washington and out west? We don't know, but how many stores was destroyed? Oh, we know that. We saw it. How about when we had the riots in Charlotte just several years ago? We, we saw and we heard, oh my gosh, the store windows got broke. Did anybody get hurt? That's my question. We are there already. It could be any of our cities. Verse 20, Rejoice over her, thou heaven, and be ye holy apostles and prophets, for God hath avenged you on her. Now, God's going to talk about the people, but he's going to talk about his people. He's going to talk about his prophets. He's going to talk about his Christian, the ones that got killed in the city of Babylon, the ones that was persecuted, the ones that was put on trial. Those individuals, those are the ones God's going to tell us about. And I have no problem with him telling me about those because he's telling me about people. But he's saying, rejoice over her, thou heaven, and ye holy apostles and prophets. For God hath avenged you, avenged you on her. God's wrath is poured out on Babylon to avenge or pay back the city for what it has done to the apostles and the prophets. Go somewhere. Now, there is a guy in Charlotte that will yell out, riding his bicycle, walking up and down the street or riding in a van. He will yell out, and he's got such a loud voice, Jesus loves you. Well, during the ride, somebody beat him up. He's still back out there. He's still yelling, Jesus loves you. He rode by me one day on a bicycle. Jesus loves you, brother. He does you too, brother. The guy nearly wrecked. <laughs> I promise you, he nearly wrecked because one, someone had engaged him, and two, somebody said, hey, he loves you too. He nearly wrecked looking at me like, oh my gosh, I've ran into someone else. But I enjoy hearing him. You can hear him all over that area where the, the, well, where Lynn and I work, where the two uh, stadiums are at. You can hear him all over. You can hear him in the 13th floor of my building, sitting at my desk every once in a while. He'll come by underneath us. Ah, Jesus loves you. And you can hear him all the way up into the 13th floor. He's got a very loud voice. He's doing great. I mean, he is doing what he feels he's supposed to do, and he's getting people's attention. Now, people are laughing at him, and they are you know, making fun of him. I enjoy hearing him. 
It's a lot better than some of the things I do here on the streets anyway. But he will go around. And so all if Charlotte was that city, and I don't think Charlotte's that city because we're not a port city, and the ships can't stand back and watch us burn, he would pay back for, what is his name, Sam? I think somebody told me his name was Sam one time. So they, they would he would avenge Charlotte for Sam because of the way Sam has been treated over the last several years. I didn't hear him for a while this year because I was afraid maybe, you know, the pandemic had taken him or, or he is just tired. But not too long ago, about maybe two months after we got started back at Charlotte, I heard him, Jesus, I saw him. I went, hey, Sam's back. All right, the city's coming to normal. Verse 21, And a mighty angel took up a stone like a great millstone and cast it into the sea, saying, Thus with violence shall that great city Babylon be thrown down and shall be found no more at all. Just as a millstone sinks into the water, and in case you don't know what a millstone is, it's a huge rock that they used to have. Uh, they had a bottom rock, they had a top rock, and they would put the grain and stuff in between it. And usually horses would move that rock on a on a stick, if you will, or a rope or whatever, and it would grind the, gr- the grain. It's called a millstone. The Bible tells us that if anybody offends the little ones, that a millstone should be tied around their neck and they should be cast into the lake. He's very particular about his young Christians and also the young kids in the world. He's very particular. But he says, uh, just as a millstone sinks into the water, Babylon will sink away from us and will not be remembered any longer. Once you throw that millstone into the lake, if you was to throw a millstone into Lake Norman and float away, come back the next day, you're not going to know where that millstone went unless you looked at your GPS coordinates. You're never going to find that millstone. And just like that, we're never going to find Babylon again. Once the millstone is gone under the water, it will be quickly forgotten about. Babylon, once God has destroyed the city, will be quickly forgotten about as well. We've talked about Nineveh multiple times, and I've made my boo-boos here in this in this chapter, and I will correct it. But uh, we don't get influenced by Nineveh. No longer are we influenced. Nineveh was a huge city. It was a three-day walk across the middle. That's how large Nineveh was. It was huge. Nineveh doesn't influence us any longer. Medes and the Persians came into Nineveh and took them over and destroyed them in just a short order. And But we're not really influenced by the Medes or the Persians. Rome came in and destroyed the world. They took over everything. Now, we are still influenced by Rome. Our counting system, our our government system, they still influence us. But nobody nobody goes, man, I wish we'd bring back the government of Nineveh. Wow, that was such a wonderful time. No, nobody does that. I've never heard anybody say that. So just like Nineveh disappears, Babylon's going to disappear. Nobody's going to remember it. We might look over and see the smoke rising, and we might look over and see where it used to go and go, wow, that used to be a pretty nice city. But that'll be about it. We will not want to be there. We will not want to return to that way of living if we are actually here on this earth at the time. And the voice of harpers and musicians and pipers and trumpeters shall be heard no more at all in there. 
or in thee. No craftsman or whatever soever craft he be shall be found any more in thee. And the sound of a millstone shall be heard no more at all in thee. It's going to be utterly destroyed. There will be no activity. No music. No celebrations. Because it will be ultimately destroyed. There will be no trade, no creativity, no work. Because the city will be completely destroyed. We have cities like that right now in our world. Chernobyl was destroyed in 1986 because of man. Because of stupidity. Because of arrogance. There's nothing happens in Chernobyl any longer. Now, the guards that are guarding Chernobyl, they'll go in every once in a while, they turn on the radios, just give some noise to the background so that they don't go crazy. But there's nothing happening in Chernobyl. We have cities like that. But Chernobyl is still standing. It wasn't destroyed. It was just evacuated in a very quick order. should have been quicker, but we won't go there. It still stands. Babylon will not. Imagine a city of Charlotte disappearing in a day, just destroyed in a day. Imagine what it would be like if Raleigh was destroyed in a day. Washington, D.C., New York City, Miami, Tampa, any of these, Los Angeles. Let's look outside the country, Moscow, London, England, Dubai. What would it be like if one of these cities just poof, destroyed? We'd all be scratching our heads going, what just happened? It was such a large city. What just happened? And the light of a candle shall shine no more at all in thee, and the voice of the bridegroom and of the bride shall be heard no more at all in thee. For thy merchants were the great men of the earth, for by their sorceries were all nations deceived. There will be no more celebrations, no parties, no marriages, no buying and selling. The earth, if allowed, would quickly swallow up the city. But since this occurs in the tribulation, there will be no time for nature to even take the city over. That's how close we are. When Babylon falls, that's how close we are to the end. Okay? So nature doesn't even have a chance to overrun the city. But if man disappeared, let's say Charlotte was truly evacuated, no one was there, in just a few years, nature would have taken over a good portion of the city. The grass would be growing where it's not growing now. Trees would be growing. Windows would be broken. Vines would be climbing up buildings. And in just a, a hundred years, it'd be gone. I mean, how bad is it when you can walk through the, when you can walk through a jungle and find a ancient city? You're just on your way through the jungle, hacking yourself a trail. And all at once you come up into a major Mayan or Inca city. It's been abandoned or evacuated for, you know, centuries. But still, nature took it over. You couldn't even see it from the air. Because planes have been flying over it for years. They'd never seen it. These guys are just hacking their way through the... And we're still finding buildings in the jungle. Hey, look, there's a temple. Well, how did it get here? Well, somebody built it. Well, we didn't know it was here. Well, then nature did. But nature will not have a chance to swallow up Babylon because it's that close to the end time. 
And in her was found the blood of prophets and of saints and of all that were slain upon the earth. And that's why Babylon was destroyed. Because of the persecution and the death of God's people, God will destroy the city. He gets tired of his people being bullied and persecuted and martyred, and he destroys Babylon. So that tells me that even in tribulation, there will be Christians being made, if you will. People will come to know Christ even in tribulation. And that's who's being martyred and who's being murdered and who's being persecuted in Babylon. And that's why he destroys them. Any questions or comments? No, and don't ask me who, where Babylon is. I have no clue. Nobody does. I can tell you where I think it is, but I am not going to say for 100% certain what Babylon or what city Babylon is. We are getting really, really close to the end. We only have uh, four more chapters to go, so four more weeks. 19 is uh, is interesting. 20 is very interesting. 21 and 22 is future terms, if you will, and it's extremely interesting. You need to stick around for 22 because that's where it tells us we win. Okay, all of this gloom and doom, but at the very last it says, hey, you guys win. Go home. So stick around for a few more weeks and and you can hear the rest of Revelation. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Our most kind and gracious Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you for this day. We thank you for this study, Lord. We thank you, Lord, for enlightening our understanding, Lord. And we ask, Lord, that you'll continue to enlighten our understanding, God. We ask that you'll continue to bless and that you'll continue to build a protective hedge around us, Lord, as we continue to do what you have called us to do. In Jesus' sweet and holy name we pray. Amen.